Good morning, LinkedIn community. Welcome to another great episode of Coffee with Jim and James. We are excited today. As James and I got our guests ready today, the term icons came to our head. And when you have people like this that are icons in the energy industry, uh, we don't take that lightly. Icons are people that anybody in the industry can call them about many different things and they have whole industry knowledge and they like to share that. So we're excited about that. But before we get to our guests, let me bring in my brother in arms, my brother in crime, Mr. James Cross. James, how are you this fine and beautiful morning? I'm well, Jimmy, and excited for our guest today. Um, it, it just just having a laugh with each other in the pre the pregame to the show is worth worth having uh, both Brad and, and uh, Jeff on. But uh, if you haven't realized it. Uh, my boss, that's really why he's on. I'm sucking up. Uh, Jeff Isabel, our president at, at EWN, is joining us today, as well as Mr. Brad Heck, who is the director of corporate compliance at Miller Pipeline. And we found out today that he's in his 36th year with Miller, which is pretty impressive. So I think Icon says it, says it uh, right on the nose. So Brad and Jeff, welcome to the show today. We appreciate you joining us. It's great to be here. It's always uh, great to be here. Fantastic to be surrounded by uh, brothers and friends. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Jim and James. It's great to uh, have have the coffee with you. And yep. uh, you know the, the amazing thing, James, when you talked about thirty six years, the most amazing part is I'm only thirty seven. So <laughs> you look thirty eight, but an icon, an icon. Okay. No. You know, we uh, brought you on the show to talk a little bit about the uh, DCA and OQIP and a few other initiatives like that. And I think we'll just dive right into it. Um, first of all, you know, we in the energy industry use a lot of acronyms all the time. So DCA, OQIP, blah, 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 blah. Can you guys break that down a little bit for us and let us know a little bit of the whys and what has driven this whole process and a little high level 30,000 foot view? Sure, uh, Jim, would love to do that. Uh, the acronym is DCA, stands for the Distribution Contractors Association. And that is a, a very large uh, national association that is, has uh, many uh, distribution contractors. Some of them also are involved with the, uh, the transmission and the hazardous liquids uh, business as well. Um, and then many vendors that service uh, those contractors are also members, associate members. Uh, the OQIP, or affectionately as I like to refer to it as OQIP, uh, stands for the Operator Qualification Integrity Process. And that uh, is what has derived from our genesis when we first started looking into uh, this initiative about, uh, oh, what, four years ago, maybe, thereabouts. And um, it really started out with the contractor group looking at ways that we could identify how can we get individuals qualified in meeting the gas operator's expectations, the federal regulatory expectations, but yet do it in an efficient and an effective way so that we don't have, I guess, multiple means and multiple processes for the same individual on the same tasks. Portability, if you will, is a, is a word that was utilized early on. I will say, however, that the members of the OKIP uh, process uh, looked at it from, well, well, as we're putting these P 
pieces parts together to have integrity in what it is we do for qualifications, it suddenly we suddenly realized that it wasn't just portability that we're talking about, but rather it's, it's raising the bar and having full out integrity in everything we do with the people involved, the processes behind it, the methodologies utilized, and then the uh, accountabilities, if you will, or the auditing process to validate that we do what we say and how we do it and we can validate it. So that's kind of a, the cliff notes of we got, we were here and, <laughs> and we're now here. That's awesome. Thanks, Brad. That, that clears it up. I think for a lot of people that maybe are not familiar, uh, fortunately, and maybe unfortunately, I work really closely with Jeff and have seen the program kind of over, you said the last four, you know, four years or so, really from, from that Genesis stage to where we're at now, I've seen that, that kind of honing in on what that looks like. And Jeff, since Brad took that first one, I'm going to, I'm going to point this question to you. What, how is that, how is the OQIP program really evolved to what it is today and and what kind of changes have occurred over those four years yeah absolutely and it's a great question because when we first started out as brad mentioned it was really started off in the contractor community and it was based on a local need and, and certainly as service providers in the industry we see that a lot right as, as contractors come to us and they're having to get requalified for the exact same programs or tasks that they're already qualified in other places. There's a lot of redundancy and therefore a lot of inefficiency in what they do. And that was the genesis, as Brad mentioned, for the program. But as we begin to collect a group of experts in the industry to talk about how we construct this type of program, it did involve, evolve into more of an integrity basis. And others in the industry, namely operators, begin to see that it's equally beneficial for them as well. So what we've seen is, and again, it's a bit of a stereotype, right? We, we look at contractors and oftentimes we'll wrongly stereotype saying, well, contractors are only going to do what the operator tells them to do, right? They're not going to do anything more. And certainly from our experience as a service provider, we've seen the opposite. We've seen contractors uh, such as Miller take the high road and, and be far, high, you know, far and above and beyond in terms of the level of, of their programs. And that's what we had here was the contractors driving this initiative and then the operators engaging and saying, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And, and we like this and we like it for our own employees. So the evolution has been an origination in the contractor community to the involvement of operators, uh, involvement of regulatory entities at a state level, uh, some independent consultants and uh, a variety of, of large scale industry associations, you know, the Western Energy Institute, APGA, AGA, uh, SGA has been involved in the past, uh, uh, MEA. So we have a number of organizations that have really made a vested interest uh, investment in this program to see it move to the next level. So uh, as Brad mentioned, it went from a, a, a long time focus since the, the origin of the OQ rule around portability to one around integrity. And uh, we have to have trust in the industry and in the processes that, you know, not all OQ pro programs are created equal. And there's a recognition for that. And so the evolution has really been one about program effectiveness and the quality, the security, the trust around those programs uh, to try to raise the bar and set a higher standard that goes far above and beyond the minimum OQ rule as we know it today. Jeff, I'm, and Jim, I'm going to let you ask the next question here in just a second, but I wanted to kind of piggyback on that 
uh, what Jeff said and, and ask a question. And really, this is to, to both Brad and Jeff. But I, and this is going to sound funny, but say, I know we're I know we're in the early stages of this, even though four years in. But as far as you know, really, what the next steps and everything look like? What is the the reception been like from both contractors and operators in your eyes um, with this initiative? Yeah, I, I think that the re reception has been good. I think anytime that you have a change, you know, it's, it's you know, who moved my cheese, right? You know, uh, we get very comfortable with where we are and what the expectations are. And so if we have a script of this is what the OQL role requires, why would I want to deviate from it? So a lot of it has been very educational to, to help people understand why they need to look at making some changes. And as people become better educated on the processes and the impact, and certainly as we see uh, events or incidents or concerns in the industry, then it really helps shine a light on, okay, yes, this really is something that we need to pay attention to. So as we've, as we've gone through this evolution, we have seen both operators and contractors, um, you know, <clears throat> embrace the level of change and realize that that there is a need to go above and beyond where they're at uh, and and create a higher standard so it's going to continue to to play out in that way i think for a period of time you know we often talk about it being um, a marathon not a sprint uh, so this is going to take time so when you really try to make a radical change in the industry that's not mandated through regulation it's a voluntary initiative then uh, it, it takes a cycle of time for people to recognize the value and then to adopt it. I think that we've been very successful in the fact that uh, the trade associations, which represent the majority of all operators in the industry, so when they speak at our, our meetings, they're speaking on behalf of their membership. Uh, so I think that that says a lot. And as we you know, request feedback on the documents as they get drafted, we do get a lot of feedback and, and there is a lot of support for the uh, recognition and appreciation for defining the why. So a lot of times you're told what to do, but certainly as adults and even as kids, we want to know why we need to do it. And, and as we begin to explain the why behind it and the importance and significance, then uh, it helps breed a higher level of appreciation and, and adoption for what we're trying to accomplish, awesome. which is safety. And I would just add, yeah, I, I would just add to that, that uh, one of the actions that the OKIP group has done is they reached out to industry. They reached out to the operators, the contractor community. They reached out to the gas associations and, and offered up the written document uh, and, and was asking for feedback, looking to see if these things were identified within the written document. Did it hit the points and what kind of questions do you have? What kind of input do you have? Uh, we went out to the community and we we just plastered, really, if you will, uh, the, the industry. We received back in excess of 500 comments from industry, much like our B31Q process when the B31Q first came about. We went to industry. We asked industry, what do you think? You have some input. Did the same thing. We got some very, very valid responses back. And then what we did is we uh, as our group, we, we have them segmented into uh, the, the different tracks within our process, people, process, and then uh, program validation. And the team leads of each one of those then addressed those kinds of questions and those kinds of inputs that the, that the uh, industry itself offered up. Really good stuff. Many of those ideas and concepts we actually adopted and we inserted within the program. 
Um, some of them were uh, kind of redundant. Uh, some of them were, you know, hey, uh, maybe you missed this line here, but we addressed, you know, it's kind of like the old, what was the spaghetti commercials back in the days? It's in there, it's in there, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, so yeah, really, really a robust process to make sure that it has validation in the industry and has been vetted by uh, operators, contractors, and whatnot. Another thing I'd also offer up is early on, uh, you know, 20 years ago when OQ first came about, there was attempts then to try and have what we referred to as portability. Well, everybody, any group or any attempt to have portability was always focused on 100% portability. So if you got qualified under one system on one particular task, that was good wherever you went. Well, that kind of discounted the individual operator's expectations for their standards and procedures. So a few years ago, we kind of talked about, um, and we, we threw this out at the DCA, AGA, uh, uh, contractor operator workshops in Chicago, when we talked about the 80-20 rule, if you will. 80% of all the tasks, it could be 90, it could be 70, but just for conceptualization anyway, 80% of the pieces or the functions that we do with any task in a system is not unique to any one operator. It's universally true. And so therefore, the 20%, if you will, give or take, will be unique to the specifics of that gas company's standards. So therefore, let's take a look at the 80% piece, which is universally true, and see what we can do to address those pieces so that an individual who gets qualified to that portion, they can take that with them anywhere they go, which will then save immense amount of time financial considerations, productivity, downtime of an individual to only have to address that gas company's specific standards for that task for which he's already got the universally true element of. So that was where the genesis was as well. Yeah, and I'd like to add on to what Brad's saying there. I think a key word that maybe we haven't mentioned yet is consistency. Uh, when we talk about the B31Q, the, the OQIP program adopted the B31Q as the base model for this because it is a, a universally true standard. You look at any given task and the, the steps or sequence of events that need to occur to safely perform a task with competence are successively listed there, right? So you know what that core competency should look like. It's standard, it's consistent. If an operator is adopting that, at least for that 80%, then you know that that's going to be universally true. So when we look at a lot of the things that we're doing within the OQIP program, some of it is an administrative level activity. So we're talking about having consistency in how OQ programs are administered. You know, what are minimum test scores? What should content look like? What's the, the, the level of rigor in both the training and in the written assessments and the performance evaluations? What about the competency and quality of the people that are administering those programs? What kind of credentials do they need to have? How do you validate and audit the quality of the program overall? Uh, you know, what kind of wait periods do you have? What happens if someone fails an exam? What happens if someone gets suspended from a task? So all of these are elements that we've addressed in the program, trying to build a, 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 a consistent level of program operation. Now, again, operators can continue to go higher than that, but we're trying to set that minimum standard at higher than what the OQ rule says, which is very vague and ambiguous in many ways, and raise that to a level of integrity and trust that people can accept and say, okay, if I'm looking at programs from two different organizations, I know that they are rigorous programs that have high quality and therefore safety and reliability 
in the quality of the content and then therefore the, the quality of the person performing those jobs out in the field. And so that's really the, the big goal and objective, right, is to make sure that when we say someone is qualified to perform this task, it actually means something and it's universally known and understood what that is and how that would be defined. James, I just have to say the passion that I mean, I mean, I'm sitting here riveted and I, these are friends of mine and I'm still riveted, you know, with this. It's great. Jim, I, I, I was in close proximity with Jeff when, when the OQIP really was, I mean, getting its legs and taking off. Yep. And, and I think even during some of it, Jeff and I were really close in proximity as far as <laughs> offices. Across the hall, so, yeah. By, by osmosis alone, I learned so much. And I got to, you know, look at PowerPoints and, and clean them up and do things. So, I, you know, hearing things like the 80-20 rule and, yeah. and you know, the three Ps and all those things, I'm like, yeah, man, I know what you're talking about. So, yes, these are two passionate guys that, thank the Lord, there's somebody that passionate. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, we're, I think James and I are on the same wavelength now. And I don't know if James wants to ask it or if I should, or we both can, but we, we've covered. I've, I've got a sneaky little question. I'm going to sneak in at the end. Okay. Uh, let me, let mine be brief because you know me, I, I'm one of those futuristic thinkers. It's in my strength finders. So let me just throw this question at you real quickly. The future, what's a point that you want to see or that you need to see, or that you're thinking about that is going to, happen with this and there's no right or wrong answer it's just a ready it's that crystal ball we're looking into uh jeff take it away all right well i think you know one of the first things that we're looking for is the proof is in the pudding right it's uh putting it to the test and so we have uh three different operators along with service providers and contractors that are going through a beta pilot program of course with covid a lot of that has slowed and down. And, and i'll and i'll add their state regulators too Yes, and state regulators, right? So what we've done is we, we, we've been able to identify three groups of people uh, based on a, a state level regulator, right? That, that the regulatory entity embraces what we're doing and supports it. Number two, that the operator embraces it and supports it and is you know, actively reworking their programs to align with this. The service providers that they rely on are supporting them in that effort and embrace this program. And then the contractors, some of the key contractors that are DCA members are embracing it and supporting it as well. So you have an end-to-end -end solution here where all the key stakeholders are invested in trying to raise the bar purely on a voluntary basis. And I think that speaks volumes about the, the, the integrity and the, uh, the, the rigor of the companies involved in, in what they're trying to do in the industry. And, and yep. so for us, you know, what's next? What's the future ball? We want to see that play out, you know, through these, these pilot programs and get real life feedback on what works and what doesn't so that we can continue to refine it to make it something that people are comfortable with, that they're excited about. Uh, yes, we're asking people to do more than what they're used to, but it's fair, it's reasonable, and it makes them feel good about the work that they're doing. They know that when they get told that they're done, it actually means something significant and, yes. and not to discount programs that are out there already, but it, it's always great when you when you achieve a, a major milestone, and I view this as a major milestone for both the industry and for these organizations that are participating. And I would just add to that um, that would that would go along the lines that although this sets out some expectations, 
to raise that bar. Believe it or not, as the federal regulators and state regulators have reviewed what, what it is we're offering, their comments have been, that's exactly what the intent of the OQ rule was meant for. Mm-hmm. You're right on the button. So that's number one. The second thing I would say is, because we're looking at this from raising the bar to have some integrity in the deployment of operator qualifications and the processes behind it and the people, it's far easier. In fact, it's, it's almost a, a slam dunk that the transferability of one individual worker that holds a specific qualification from one company to another company can be an easy transition without any other organization asking, what does he really have? And what was really the process done behind it? Was someone just pushing papers? Was it some admin sitting behind the answer the phones, just checking the boxes? There's some integrity behind it. And so it makes it a lot easier to just transfer that person over, at which point then, look at the cost savings, look at the productivity savings, look at the integrity that we can say is included in what the individual has as a credential. Love it. Yeah, fantastic. Well said, Brad. Again, the passion that just uh, is oozing through all those words. It's, it's, yeah, you uh, two should start a show. Um, Ooh. <laughs> Jeff Ooh. and Brad. Yeah, you you might, have to, might have to be a late night show. One, one where y'all read the phone. Um, Okay, would, be called the, last... would it be called would it be called the the mutton Jeff show maybe no? I don't know <laughs> <laughs> all right I have one question I'm going off script here guys I know how much you love that but I'll, I'll start with Jeff so you got a little bit more time Brad but I've been closing out shows with this because I think it's really important so Jeff I got a question for you do you love what you do Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, that's that's the key behind everything is having passion. Uh, people often say, you know, if you if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Uh, and yeah. so we see a lot of folks retire yeah. and then and then they come back to the industry because they just love what they do and they want to contribute. I think that for myself, for Brad, for a lot of other folks, in fact, Brad just and I just talked about this the other day on, on a personal call. You know, the passion that we have for the industry, the love that we have for the industry, we there are so many great people. I've worked in different industries, but the, the energy and utility industry is fantastic. The, the quality and caliber of the folks, both from a professional and a personal level, you develop friends and you develop you know, professional colleagues all at the same time. And, and how can that be wrong? Amen. So yeah. uh, when we go to events, it's always like, or even this right today, this is like a reunion day, uh, especially being separated from some of the industry events. So yeah, it's, uh, it makes it very easy to get excited, to get involved when, when you know that you're making a difference, you're doing something meaningful, important, you love the people that you're working with. And at the end of the day, you know you're helping uh, you know, people out in the industry you know, with uh, the quality, their careers, their job, and ultimately their safety and going home to their families every day. And, and that's something to be proud of and to get excited about. Amen. Brad, uh, uh, you can just say ditto if you want. <laughs> The, the floor is yours, sir. Do you love what you do? I hope so after 36 well, years with Miller. But, and Miller will Yeah, Jeff, Jeff. Well, thank you. Jeff, Jeff hit it right on the, on the head. And, and I'll just add just a, a couple pieces. And that is when you deal with and when you work with the people that we do in our industry, regardless of whether it's 
uh, other organizations, associations, even cross the lines from an LDC world to a transmission world or to a hazardous liquids world, the quality of people, the subject matter expertise, the willing to work together in partnership to achieve good and phenomenal things. I, I personally believe that you don't see that in every industry in this country, but it's very unique and it's very specialized and it exists in the world of pipeline operations. It, it's, it's a wonderful thing. The second thing I'd add to that is when you have leadership and when you have quality people in leadership positions, like I am privileged to have at Miller Pipeline, it's amazing how just the leadership perspectives and the culture that the leadership provides within each one of these organizations, including Miller Pipeline, allows for greatness to foster. Amen. And th this is something that you, you can't put a price on that. That is phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I agree. Yeah, I, I hate to be the bearer of news, but if we don't wind this down, the next thing you know, it'll be next week's episode and we'll still kept on going for, you know, 284 part hours. Two. What? We can do part two. You know what? We, we probably will do part two. Where I we mean, just talk about fishing and not going on Brad's boat. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. One, one thing I would offer before we conclude yeah. I would encourage anybody that is listening or watching this cast to go to oqip.org, oqip.org, to get additional information. We've got a great website. We've got the document to review. We've got the process. We've got all the validations. We've got FAQs, all kinds of things that are in there to help anybody uh, in, in answering any questions that they may have further. Yeah, and I'll add, I'll add on to that uh, because we posted it as part of the OQIP.org website. There's also a podcast that uh, uh, Myra Maesi and I recorded with Russell Treat uh, as part of the Pipeliners podcast. It was, uh, I think, about a June 9th episode. So as you go through and you look at all that information, you can get a full download of the document itself as it's written today. Uh, answer a lot of FAQs are posted out there about what the process means and looks like and where we're going and and what the expectations are, but then there's also uh, some other background information that you can listen to to understand why the B31Q, what role that plays in this, and what we're trying to achieve through the OQIP program. Awesome. Right. Excellent final thoughts. Anything else, gentlemen, before we wind it down? It's your platform. This is your show. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you folks. Uh, this is wonderful to have a platform like this to talk about something that, that Jeff and I are passionate of. And we love our industry and we love the people in it. And thank you so much for offering this up. Thank you. Yeah, and I want to I thank you guys as well, but I also want to say thanks to everybody else that's uh, on the committee, the task force. We have a, a phenomenal group of folks that have volunteered their time. Uh, their companies have made a financial investment to get them there. So they are financially investing in the future of the industry by allowing uh, those folks to go and spend quite a bit of time over the years uh, building this program out, having meetings, traveling around you know, putting documents together, providing internal resources, as James mentioned earlier, doing PowerPoints for industry presentations, writing, drafting, editing program documents, creating forms and audit protocols, you name it. There is a lot of work that's gone on and uh, it's, uh, it's taken the entirety of, of that team to do that. So my thanks to everybody that's been participating. And so for your listeners to this cast, please go to okip.org 
and look at all the members that are a part of this that made this happen and reach out to them and thank them. They're, they've put a lot of energy and effort into this. Yep. Amen. Takes a village. It does take go. a village. <laughs> hey, got who, in. <laughs> I've heard that before. All right. On behalf of James and I, we cannot thank you two enough for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. You know, when we say that we love you, it is a, a true thing. And everything that you're doing for the industry, uh, we can't thank you enough. And we encourage our viewers out there to please connect with Jeff and please connect with Brad. If you have questions, shoot them a message. They're great people. They would want to, you know, respond and help you or point you in the right direction or whatever it is. Um, as always, on behalf of James and I, we appreciate you listening. If you would like to be on our show, drop us a note. You never know who's going to be the next guest. So until then, God bless you and God bless our industry. And everybody, please stay safe and take care. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.